Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. The text for the sermon today is taken from Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 4, the verses 14 to 17. Let us hear the word of God. Paul writes, Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. So far the reading of the word of God, may the Lord bless the reading and preaching of his word to our hearts. Dear friends, the words of our text are part of what we have called Paul's thank you note. And as we've observed several times in this series, Paul was under house arrest in Rome. And as such, he was not able to provide for himself. He was completely dependent on the charity of others. Aware of this, the Philippians sent Epaphroditus to Rome with a gift on their behalf. And having received their gift, Paul, as he brings his letter to a close, expresses his heartfelt thanks. He does this in verses 10 through 20 of chapter 4. Now this thank you note consists of three parts. The first part, verses 10 to 13. The second part, verses 14 to 17. And the third part, verses 18 through 20. Now the last time we considered the first part, of this thank you note, verses 10 to 13, and today with the Lord's help we want to consider the second part, verses 14 through 17. We do that under the theme, Paul's thank you note, part two. We'll consider, first of all, the fellowship he enjoyed, secondly, the faithfulness he acknowledged, and thirdly, the fruit he sought. First then, the fellowship he enjoyed. The words of our text are closely connected to the verses that come before it, verses 10 to 13, or the so-called first part of Paul's thank you note. In these verses, Paul expresses his thanks that now at last the care of the Philippians for him had flourished again. Now, as Paul will go on to acknowledge, the Philippians had cared for Paul several times throughout his ministry. But for some reason, they had not done so for quite some time. Why not? Well, it was not, as Paul says, because they didn't care for him. They certainly did care, but rather it was because they lacked opportunity. Now again, why they lacked opportunity, we don't know, nor did it matter to the Apostle Paul. All that mattered to him was the fact that their care for him had flourished again. Now, having made that statement, Paul goes on to make a qualification. Verse 11, he says, Not that I speak in regard to need. So Paul here is cautioning the Philippians not to think that in expressing his appreciation that their care for him had flourished again, that Paul was fixated on his material needs, because he most certainly was not. And why not? Well, he tells us, doesn't he? He says, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. You see, Paul had learned but many people today still need to learn 
and that is to be content in every circumstance of life. In fact, he goes on to say, and I quote, I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now all of this brings us to our text, which begins in verse 14. There the apostle writes, Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now again, this word nevertheless joins verse 14 to the verses that come before it. But it also signals another qualification. You see, Paul doesn't want the Philippians to think that because he had learned to be content in every circumstance, that therefore he did not need or even want their gift. Absolutely not. In fact, he even commends them for their gift. You have done well, he writes. You have done well in giving me this gift. What is more, he points out that to him, their gift was more than just a bag of coins. It was more than just some articles of clothing and perhaps some imperishable foods. It was, as he himself says, a sharing in his distress. Now the word distress here refers to his material circumstances. As we already pointed out, Paul was under house arrest in Rome, chained at all times to a Roman soldier. For that reason, he had no means of providing for himself. He had to live on the charity of other people. What is more, he was awaiting the outcome of his trial, which could very well lead to his death. Consequently, Paul rightly referred to his circumstances as a distress. It was indeed a great distress. Now by sending him their gift, Paul says the Philippians shared in this distress. Now the word share here is very interesting. It's derived from the Greek verb koinonia, which appears several times in this epistle and and means in this context participate together. And so what Paul is saying is this. He's saying that by sending him the gift by the hand of Epaphroditus, the Philippians participated together with him in his affliction. In other words, they participated in his suffering. They joined themselves to his circumstances. They entered into his experience. We could say that they put their own feet in his shackles. They sat beside him in his rented house. They wore his tattered clothes. They identified with him in his fears and anxieties. Now we learn here a very important lesson about the nature of true Christian fellowship. There's a lot of misunderstanding in the church today about what fellowship is. Many people today confuse fellowship with socializing. In many churches, after the morning service, everyone flies into the fellowship hall for coffee. And after they get their coffee, they either stand around or sit at a table and talk. Or they visit with members of the congregation in their home, and we call that fellowship. Now, while socializing is certainly part of fellowship, it's not to be equated with it. Fellowship, properly, biblically understood, goes much deeper than merely socializing. 
Fellowship, as the Apostle Paul defines it here in our text, is an entering into another's experience, their joys, but also their sorrows. And it begs the question, what about you and me? Are we people who share in each other's distress? Do you and do I mourn with those who mourn and weep with those who weep? Do we come alongside people who are going through a hard time? A lonely widow or a widower? A brother or sister who is sick and has to go for treatments that are sometimes debilitating and painful? A young mother who is overwhelmed with the responsibility of caring for little children every day and her own inadequacies and failures? A businessman who's under great pressure or whose business is not doing well and he's feeling defeated and stressed out? Are we ministering to these kinds of people? Are we entering into their experience? You know, we can do that all all kinds of different ways. We can send them a card or an email of encouragement, speak a few words to them when we see them on Sunday morning. We can assure them of our prayers. We can send them a bouquet of flowers. We can give them a firm handshake, a hug, or even a gentle hand on the shoulder. We can visit them or take them out for coffee and allow them to unburden themselves. In all these ways, we show that we care and we feel. We try as much as possible to enter into their experience, if only for a few moments. Well, this is what Christian fellowship is all about. It's not just socializing, but it's entering into another's experience. Well, let me ask you, do you do that? It's easy to come to church and to go home again and not be bothered with anyone. But as Christians, we're called to do more, much more. We're called to be involved and invest ourselves in the lives of others, particularly our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so Paul commended the Philippians for their fellowship, but he also commended them for their faithfulness. And that brings us to our second point. Apostle Paul was thankful for the gift that the Philippians had sent by the hand of Epaphroditus, and he told them so. But he also went on in verses 15 and 16 to acknowledge that they had sent several other gifts in the past. He writes in verse 15, Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, that is when he first began his ministry in that region, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. Now the word share here is the same Greek word koinonia, same word that we saw in verse 14. Now although this word can have the sense of sharing or participating in something, in several contexts the word has to do specifically with giving money or material possessions. For example, Paul uses the same verb in Romans 12 verse 13 when he exhorts the Romans to contribute to the needs of the saints. The word contribute there is the same word, koinonia, translated koinonia in our text. Or Galatians 6, verse 6, Paul says that the one who is taught the word must share in all good things with the one who teaches. Now, this is clearly the sense in our text as well. By using this word share, Paul is highlighting the material partnership of the Philippians in his gospel ministry. 
And he makes that even more explicit by adding the expression concerning giving and receiving, or more literally, in the matter of giving and receiving. Now this, is, this expression, giving and receiving, was commonly found in contracts at that time. It refers to the settling of an account. By using these expressions, Paul is seeking to emphasize the financial nature of the Philippians' partnership or their fellowship in his gospel ministry. Their gift was a kind of investment in his ministry. But the language that Paul employs here is not merely financial. It is instead the language of friendship. In the Greco-Roman world, friendship involved giving and receiving. If I gave you a gift, you were expected, when the time came, to give me a gift in return. That was a mark of friendship. And Paul knew this. Of course, he was familiar with this custom, and that's why he uses this particular language. He wants to assure the Philippians that he regards their gift not just as a cold financial transaction, but rather as a sign of their friendship towards him. But this was no ordinary sign of friendship. Three things made this sign of friendship special. First of all, it was long-standing. Paul says that the Philippians cared for his needs in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia. So Paul here is referring to the first time that he preached the gospel in Philippi. Already then, years ago, they cared for his needs. Secondly, this sign of friendship was repeated. Verse 16, Paul writes, For even in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again, he says, for my necessities. Now, Paul here is referring to the events recorded in Acts 17 that took place some ten years earlier. There we read that after Paul established the church at Philippi, he went to Thessalonica, where he encountered much opposition from the Jews who were living there at that time. While he was there, the believers at Philippi sent him a gift, and on more than one occasion, to support him in his labors. And what made this even more special was the fact that Paul was not in Thessalonica all that long, and that's why he uses the word even here. And yet they sent him aid, as he says in verse 16, once and again, meaning several times, over and over Again, they helped. Thirdly, this sign of friendship was unique. Paul observes that of all of the churches in Macedonia, the church at Philippi was the only church that came to his aid. He says, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. Now, in mentioning that they were the only church to help him, Paul is not expressing bitterness or resentment of any kind. He's not saying that he resents the other churches for not providing for him like the Philippians did. That wasn't in Paul's nature. Paul always assumed the best of people and the best of churches as well, not the worst. Most likely he simply assumed that the other churches were not able to help him at that particular time. In stating that only the Philippians helped him, Paul was simply singling them out for the great kindness that they had shown to him. Now we can learn a number of lessons from this. First of all, we learn here something of the transformative power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. By nature, you and I are selfish beings. This is part and parcel of our sinful 
human nature. We're selfish. And we love money. We love material things. We love the things that money can buy. And we want it all to ourselves. That's how we all are by nature. But notice what the gospel does. The gospel changes that. When we come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, then money is no longer our idol. We come to see that all that we have is from the Lord. And it is therefore to be used for him and to his glory. We also come to see the value of the kingdom of God. And we want to see the kingdom of God spread throughout the world. And we know that that takes money. And so we give. And we give, and we give, and we give, sometimes even until it hurts. And that's also what the Philippians did. They weren't wealthy people. We know that because in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul says that the believers in Macedonia, where Philippi was located, gave liberally out of their deep poverty, he says. So these were poor people. They weren't extraordinarily wealthy, and yet they gave. And they gave again, and again, and again. They gave liberally for the work of the Lord, and to the Apostle Paul in particular. Well, how do we stand in relation to these Philippians? Do you also give liberally, generously, joyfully, cheerfully, to the work of the Lord? Are you eager to assist those working to advance the gospel because you've been transformed by that same gospel? Or do you do so only very reluctantly, eager to keep everything for yourself? You know, the freeness with which we part with our material needs for the cause of the gospel is a reflection of what lives in our hearts and it's a reflection of our relationship with God. Secondly, we learn here at least three important principles undergirding support for full-time Christian workers. We learn here that ministers, missionaries, have material needs just like everyone else. They too have children to feed and clothe. They too have to pay for Christian school. They too have medical and dental and utility bills. They too have to pay their taxes They too have to save up for their retirement. And for that reason, we need to support them. And that's our privilege, as well as our duty. It is our privilege because in supporting them, we free them up to devote themselves to doing the work of the kingdom of God. And it's our duty because this is what the Lord requires of us in his word. We learn here, secondly, that when we support ministers and missionaries in their work, we participate with them in it. You know, of course, that not all of us can become ministers or missionaries. Not all of us are capable. Not all of us have the gifts for doing this work. Not all of us have a calling for this work. But when we support ministers and missionaries, we become participants in their labors. It's like we're laboring right alongside of them. And again, the Philippians were a beautiful example of this. By sending Paul their gift, they shared in his distress and in his entire ministry. It's like they were laboring alongside of him there in Rome. Thirdly, we learn that supporting ministers and missionaries is an act of the whole church. The Greek word that Paul uses here only serves to underscore that truth. As I've already mentioned, the Greek word for sharing that Paul uses here is a compound word that 
literally means joint fellowship. The idea behind this verb is that the gift that the Philippians sent was something that they did themselves. It was an act of the entire church, not just one or two individuals. We need to be reminded of that today. There's a growing number of so-called parachurch ministries today. The word para means alongside of. So a parachurch ministry is a ministry that literally comes alongside of the church, but is not the church. In theory, at least, a parachurch ministry doesn't do the work of the church. It merely comes alongside of the church and helps the church to do that work themselves. Now, there's certainly a place for parachurch ministries today. Most have proven to be very useful organizations and a great help to the church. The problem with many parachurch ministries, however, is that they take on, they tend rather to take on a life of their own. And there's often very little ecclesiastical oversight and accountability. So that the connection between the church and the parachurch is most of the time very loose, if it's there at all. The words of our text, however, point us in another direction. They remind us that the work of missions and evangelism is, or at least ought to be, the work of the church. And that includes identifying the field of labor and calling, sending, and supporting missionaries to that field of labor. Many parachurch ministries today have taken that away from the church. And it's time that the church took this responsibility back. And so Paul acknowledges the Philippians' faithfulness. But what mattered to him even more than his material support was their fruit. And that brings us to our third and final point. Paul ends this part of his thank you note with yet another qualification. Lest the Philippians think that all he cares about is money, Paul adds in verse 17, Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. The Greek word for fruit here can also be translated as profit or interest. And if that's the sense, then Paul here is continuing to use financial or commercial terminology. And that's confirmed by the fact that the phrase abounds to your account can also be translated as increase to your credit. And so if we were to paraphrase, what Paul is saying is this. He's saying, I appreciate the gift and receive it gladly. But what I am more interested in seeing is how this gift will benefit you. Because your gift is not just a donation. It's an investment in the bank of heaven that over time will accumulate interest and will be paid out when our Lord comes again in glory. Now in making that statement, the Apostle Paul is simply echoing other passages of Scripture that teach that there will be rewards in heaven for those who invest in the kingdom of God on earth. Think of Psalm 62, verse 12. Also to you, O Lord, belongs mercy, for you render to each one according to his work. Or Matthew 6, verse 19 and 20, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Or we can think of 1 Corinthians 3, verses 10 to 15. 
Paul writes, Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. The point of these verses is the same. Those who invest in the kingdom of heaven in this life will receive a rich reward in the life to come. Now what a refreshing perspective that gives, that puts on giving. If some people have a very negative view of giving, also in the church, Rather than give in abundance, they give very little, if anything, at all, even when there's a special need. Why is that? It's because they see giving as a donation rather than as an investment. And we're all guilty of that to some extent, aren't we? We speak of donation receipts when we should be speaking of investment receipts. But this is wrong. This is a wrong way of thinking. This is not how we should view giving. Giving is not a donation, but it's an investment. An investment that will pay dividends in this life, but especially in the life to come. Oh, my friends, is that also your perspective on giving? If not, it should be. For consider, child of God, all that the Lord Jesus gave for you. Consider how he left the glories and the riches of heaven to come down to this earth. How he assumed our flesh and blood. How he suffered and died on the cross so that sinners like you and me could be saved. Oh, when you think of all that Christ has done for you, all that he gave up for you, all that he continues to give for you, is there anything you would not do for him? Is there any price too high? Is there any sacrifice too great? Oh, my friends, I assure you, there is not. Oh, since that is so, do not be stingy. Do not be stingy when it comes to the work of the Lord. Do not be like Ananias and Sapphira, who gave only a portion to the church, but held most of it back for themselves and were killed as a result. Rather, give and give and give, abundantly knowing that every dollar you invest in the kingdom today will be returned to you with interest in the life to come. This part of Paul's thank you note, therefore, Paul mentions the Philippians' fellowship, their faithfulness, and their fruit. What a wonderful thank you note this is. There's no other thank you note quite like it, is there? It's so rich and full with meaning and instruction. There's one more part to this thank you note that we still have to consider, and we hope to do that next week, the Lord willing. Until then, may God apply the things that we have learned today to our spiritual growth and development. May we also, like the Philippians, fellowship more and more with those who are laboring in the Lord's church and kingdom, May we be faithful in this and may we bring forth fruit to our account and to the glory of his holy name. Amen. We always appreciate hearing from our listeners. If you were blessed by or have a comment on the message you've heard today, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road. Lehman is spelled L-E-H. M-A-N, Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. If you would like to listen to the message you've just heard again, or if you would like more information, 
about our program, including how to contact us and how to listen to other messages on this program, please visit our website at banneroftruthradio.com. That's all one word, banneroftruthradio.com. Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. For more information about our churches, including where you can find a church nearest you, please visit our denominational website at www.frcna.org. Your financial support for this program is welcome and deeply appreciated. If the Lord has placed in your heart a desire to help us to offset the costs of broadcasting this program on this station, you can send us a check in any amount. Again, our mailing address is 3386 Mount Lehman Road, L-E-H-M-A-N, Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can go to our webpage and make a donation right on the webpage. Our webpage, again, is banneroftruthradio.com. Thank you for listening. And now, until next week, may the Lord be with you all.